Welcome to the Political Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas of the American Enterprise Institute. Each week, I feature a lively conversation with experts on some of the most important economic and policy questions of our time. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews really help with the podcast visibility, and I always appreciate the feedback. Thanks, and on to the show. As has been discussed many times in this podcast, economic growth has been disappointing for the past two decades. Economists and pundits have many explanations for this slowdown, most of which involve policy errors, such as enabling inequality or failing to invest in technology. But my guest today is Dietrich Volrath, and he has a different take. What if slower growth is simply the natural endpoint of a developed economy? Dietrich is a professor of economics and the chair of the Department of Economics at the University of Houston, where his research focuses on economic growth. He's the author of the recently released Fully Grown, Why a Stagnant Economy is a Sign of Success. Dietrich, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. First question, will this pandemic have a long-term negative impact on America's productive capacity? Um, I think it's possible in the sense that we've seen in the past that there's a uh, hysteresis from major events. Uh, there was a bit of research after the, the recession in 2008, 2009, that as, uh, especially for people that get separated from the labor force for extended periods, that they have a lot of trouble coming back. Now this might be different, right? Because there's a, maybe a different feel for people getting back into the labor force. So this are like, oh, well you were laid off because of the, the lockdowns and stuff is kind of an easy uh, um, reason that can be used and, and, and employers may not see that as a, as a disqualifier. But, but again, as people get separated for a long time, that tends to just, they tend to drift farther and farther away from the labor force. So it wouldn't shock me if there's a permanent effect of a, of a displaced um, portion of workers that, that kind of never make it back uh, into the, into the labor force. I mean, part of uh, what what's happening, I guess, is that we're trying to, sort of, uh, you know, tell people to, you know, the, the stay inside their homes, you know, social distance and kind of lock down the American economy, put it in sort of suspended animation with the hope that once, you know, we all get out of our homes, yeah. it'll kind of, it'll hopefully uh, rev back up. Right. Um, but I wonder if it's the sort of, I know there are some people, I, I guess, probably more so on the right, you know, they view recessions as also ways to kind of you know, kill the, you know, weaker companies and that capital yeah. labor is deployed to more efficient companies. Yeah. And obviously this isn't that, this isn't like that kind of recession. Yeah. But is there, is, is there, just a, is there any kind of risk that we're kind of thinking of the economy uh, after this as being the same economy when then what we need and what the economy needs and what services we need might be totally different? Well, I, I mean, I think there's two parts of that, right? Which is that there is an element of this kind of this idea I mean, there's this concept that's been around for a long time, right? That that recessions are, recessions are cleansing in the sense that they 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 ditch, uh, um, uh, I don't know, failing businesses or something like that. Which I, I mean, I think that's I think there's a lot of garbage in that argument. Which is that there's no reason that, that those that kind of turnover isn't happening in regular times and can't happen kind of on a continual basis. We I mean, we see this as job churn and firm churn throughout normal times anyway. So I don't, I don't think that you would want to view this as like, oh, we'll, 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 we'll come out of this in this super efficient manner because we'll have gotten rid of all these, all you know, unproductive locate. Exactly. That said, 
obviously, I think we're all having this kind of collective look at, at, at our economy and what, what counts as essential and what doesn't count as essential and, and where are the fragilities and in, 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 in who uh, is going to struggle in response to this. And, and, and I think down to the core of what, what do we want uh, our economy to do for us? Right. Where are we, this, this discussion that's kind of bubbled up in the last day or two is like, well, we should reopen everything. And if some people have to die to keep the economy going, some people have to die, which is mind boggling to me, but, um, but maybe is forcing us to think like, wait a second, uh, what is the point of how we've structured some of the economic activities in this, in this country? So it wouldn't shock me if a year from now, there's a number of things that look different uh, because we've maybe thought more consciously about how we want the economic relationships in this country to work rather than just kind of accepting them as, you know, oh, this is the way it's been for the last 10, 20 years. And so that just must be how it is. Uh, so I, I wouldn't call it a kind of a cleansing thing in that, that old sense. I would say it is, but there's some rethinking. Right? Well, it might, it might sort of uh, uh, cleanse us of, uh, right, of old thinking and uh, right. know, stereotypes right. and our what our expectations should be. Yeah. Right, um, right. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the past 10, 20 years, I mean, that's sort of also, you know, what the book is about, you know, you're looking at 10, 20 years and a little earlier, where we've seen sort of this slowdown in economic growth, we've seen this sort of decline in productivity, and what you're trying to do is, is figure out why that's, that's happening, right. and to what extent we can, uh, we can change that if we, uh, if we wish, uh, and, and also why it's not necessarily a bad thing, it does reflect some other good things going right. on in our society, so I just want to, um, one thing you cite in the book is birth rates as a main driver, yeah. falling birth rates, the main driver to the growth slowdown. Yeah. Um, is, that, is that, that's sort of happening everywhere. We should expect yeah. that. Is that, is that a bad thing? Does that, does that mean no. we're going to be an older, uh, less, you know, risk, uh, a more risk averse society? Cause we're not having so many kids. Yeah. We'll just be an older society. Right. So, I mean, I think this is happening in a number of places, you know, to a, a greater or lesser extent and earlier and later. So, but, but, but this kind of feature that the demographics have been part of the growth slowdown, I think is, is, is you can look at it and find it across the entire developed world. Right. So you might argue that Japan started to see this earlier and, and certain parts of Europe are going to saw it maybe a little later, but might see it more severely. Um, so it, Italy has a million issues right now that are more important than this, but, um, like Italy, for instance, and certain uh, Eastern European countries may experience the growth slowdown more severely because they they really have given you know had very few kids in the in the last uh, twenty to thirty years and and it really it's it's not just having fewer kids it's it's really the comparison it's it's we have an aging society now where we don't have a ton of kids and we're comparing ourselves to the middle of the twentieth century uh, in terms of growth rates. And when in the middle of 20th century, we had tons of kids and they all hit the labor market and the economy expands in response to this huge influx of labor. And so relatively, when we, when we compare ourselves relatively, we just, we are starting growing very fast because we start adding a lot of workers and a lot of human capital to the economy. But yeah, I don't, I don't argue that it's a bad thing. That was a choice. we made. It, it, it is, It's a choice, but is it, is, is, is it a bad thing? I, I was sort of trying to get at, yeah. does it make us sort of less innovative, and less entrepreneurial? Because we're going to, we're not going to get as much, much of our growth from adding population. We're going to have to be more innovative. But if we're an older society, 
that seems also cut against that. Right. So I think that's a great question, which is, all right, so now if we are going to kind of permanently be uh, a relatively old society, then does that change uh, just how, like, literally, like you said, how we innovate or what we innovate on. So Chad Jones, uh, who's at Stanford, a uh, brilliant growth economist that, that uh, I rely on a lot in terms of, of what, how he thinks about things. He, uh, uh, he's thought hard about this, this idea uh, in a couple different ways, which is, and I think you mentioned like risk aversion. It's, well, as we age, you know, kind of on average, as we get older, are we going to are we going to be willing to take risks in terms of innovations? Um, do we want things that might have big productivity effects, but might have health risks? Um, or are we at the stage where our material, and this is really relevant for the current situation, are we at a stage where kind of the material provision of goods is, is sufficient that we're like, wait, I don't want to risk another pandemic. So honestly, I want to scale back, say, biological uh, innovation, because I'm worried that maybe what happens if another COVID-19 breaks out of a lab? Maybe older populations, uh, the, the pace of uh, population growth is relatively slow, and that means that literally just the number of people we're adding that are going to work in labs and do research and become engineers is not going to grow very quickly, and the scale of ideas we come up with doesn't grow as fast uh, to the detriment of kind of overall productivity. So, I mean, are I think you, there are, are you, are you aware of any, any successful cases or policies to, um, you know, sort of these sort of natalist policies that work? Natalist policies that work. Um, that's a good question. And I can't think of any off the top of my head. that have, It seems like a very hard thing to reverse yeah, yeah. in any I mean, sort I, of substantial ways, like how many kids people are having. Right. Yeah. I know they, you know, they, they, I know there's been a lot of, uh, you know, whether it's public, you know, kind of public pressure campaigns or playing yeah. around with the tax code. I'm not sure any of it's, you know, had much effect. Right. I think on the margin, right, I think it's one of these things that on the margin, you might, you probably have this effect, right? And you take the average number of kids from, from 1.8 to 1.9 per, per woman and, and, and have a marginal change. But I think substantial changes, right? Like taking it from 1.8 to 2.8, it's hard to, uh, I'd have to look, maybe someone's done it in the past, but I feel like we that would be more of an obvious anecdote about that. Um, um, I think it's tough because I think the underlying structural issues favor favored for a long time and have favored for a long time the small families. I mean, I, I get one of your points is that you know a lot of this these, these um, the stagnation and these the declines and things which make future growth harder are a result of sort of good things that have happened in the past. And right, uh, how, how does that apply, for instance, to the slowdown? Um, or, the, or rather, the transition to a more service-based economy. Well, I think the the service-based is is part and parcel of that good things and slowdown, right? So it's um, what we what we see across countries and over time is that as we get better and better at making stuff, goods, tangible stuff, uh, we we buy more of it, but not nearly as much, uh, not nearly so much that that the spending on it keeps up. Um, what I mean is goods are getting cheaper and cheaper and we kind of use those savings. And what do we spend them on? We spend them on services. We, we have for 150 years. This isn't brand new to the last 20 years. It's been happening since agriculture was declining as a share of, of, of GDP uh, 150 years ago. So we buy more and more services um, as we kind of get better and better at producing goods. And 
one of the things about services is that they, their productivity growth tends to be uh, slow relative to productivity growth in goods. Um, and so just our spending patterns, our choice about how to spend the savings from cheaper goods is having a consequence for, for productivity growth. And that's a good example of this kind of the, the slowdown as a consequence of, of past success. We got really rich and really good at making things and we used that to kind of buy ourselves a package of economic uh, output that just doesn't promote really rapid productivity growth. So should I, you know, I write a lot about productivity and, you know, and and my writing tends to be very, like, I'm very concerned about it. Yeah. Uh, And so, you know, we seen, we saw sort of this drop off in the seventies and then we saw, you know, pick up in the late nineties or two thousands, then a decline again. So when I see these historically weak productivity numbers, should should I really be concerned if they're just sort of, you know, reflecting a, 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 a transition to a different kind of economy? Is it like, well, that's fine. Right. So I, so I think there's two answers. So one is I think you're right to look at them and, and, and wonder and be concerned potentially because fundamentally that is what drives, you know, our, the economic well-being, right? Like it's productivity growth. So if it is falling, we're, I think you're totally right that we should be looking at it and why. And, and so one of the, the, the jobs that I was trying to take on in the book was to look at that. And, and, and partly I would argue Yes, we should we should appreciate that productivity growth will probably be slower um, to some extent in the long run because of this shift into service sector work, which kind of inherently tends to have relatively low productivity growth, um, and that's okay because you replace a lot of those workers with robots. Uh, but even then, right? Even then, I don't know that 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 necessarily changes it because where do you spend the savings of shifting, uh, you know, let's say we replace all the, uh, let's think of a service uh, activity. Let's say every checkout person at every grocery store and Home Depot and everything is replaced with a robot um, tomorrow. So now it's cheaper to go to Home Depot and the grocery store because those robots are relatively cheap. The question is, what do you do? What, where do you spend those savings? Are you going to go to Home Depot more and buy more stuff from Home Depot? Or are you going to spend those savings on, I don't know, taking a class or taking an extra vacation or buying some experience where I'm going to not only take a vacation, but I'm going to go to the five-star rather than four-star place and have more personal service, right? We've been making these choices to spend those savings, even from something like replacing service work with robots, uh, into buying more and more labor-intense kind of services um, that tend to not have super rapid productivity growth. Life coaches. Uh, sure. Right. Like anything <laughs> like that, going to get a massage, right? Like using a physical trainer, uh, all that stuff where, and and that gets to the point where that productivity growth is tends to be low as we, we go for those things is because those things are, are time intense and intent, attention intense, which is hard to say. Um, you can't, right. I can't go to my physical therapist for an hour at, for less than an hour, <laughs> I think it's the, yeah. I mean, now that said, I think there's that doesn't mean that we're kind of doomed to have slow productivity growth in services. I mean, I I am willing to completely admit that I could be completely wrong on this, and in ten years, someone will have mass, some massively great ideas about how how to do certain service activities really productively, and and we'll have some huge boom. That'd be awesome. I'm all for it. Um, it's just we haven't we haven't witnessed stuff like that in the past. 
are there reported villains in this growth slowdown that you think when you take a second look really don't seem so villainous things that get blamed for dragging down growth yeah i mean i think the so the latter part of the book's all about that right like so we the the natural suspects here are, are government in terms of say taxation and regulation uh trade particularly with china or possibly inequality and and if you kind of pick through all of those even if even if they're having the effect that you expect, so for instance, even if even if the more regulation on some industry is 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 causing them to not maybe innovate quite as fast or to uh, limit their growth a little, those quantitatively those effects just kind of add up to be so small that it they aren't the major or even a, a significant portion of the reason for the slowdown. Uh, most of those just they just kind of don't work large enough to explain why the growth rate fell by as much as it did by over a, a percentage point uh, per year uh, from the 20th to the 21st century. They just, they just don't add up to enough. Well, if, if you're going to, um, I mean, what is sort of the common expl explanation? Are you giving what is sort of the general now consensus explanation for this slowdown, which doesn't, you know, which has to be kind of a, a macro explanation because, right. you know, this happened, you know, uh, across countries. Is that, yeah. Right. Are, are you presenting us now with the uh, accepted uh, explanation or are there uh, other explanations which are buying for first place? Oh, no. I, yeah, I don't think this is the this is not the canonical explanation for this. Um, so you can think of the book as definitely my kind of like shot into that that muck right. and say like, hey, 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 this is how we should think about it. I think so. Maybe like uh, uh, Gordon's book uh, on uh, the rise and decline of American growth. If there's anything that's kind of, and I don't even think that would be called, I'd call that a consensus view, but I think that might be the default view. Like if you kind of, you know, gun to the head, talk to a bunch of economists um, and they'd all accept, and I accept there's nothing wrong with his numbers and stuff, that, that productivity growth was, was higher at certain points in the 20th century than the 21st. And then, and then that becomes the big question of, well, what, what happened to productivity growth? And, and, his, and his answer is, uh, it's hard. We got a lot of low frame yeah. light hanging fruit. It's hard, right. you know. It's hard to come up with ideas as big as the old ideas, right? And um, you know, yeah, there's IT the, just IT just isn't as transformative as right. the combustion engine or electrification. Engine. Right, right. Like it, it's we we you can only invent uh, household appliances once. You can only electrify the economy once, kind of thing. And right. uh, um, and it bleeds into the little bit of the old guy on the on the porch thing with, you know, stupid Facebook and stuff, but, uh, um, you know, but, but, but I think his, his, I think his, that default view is that for whatever reason, we aren't kind of innovating or, or, or inventing at the pace we used to. And that I would take issue with, you know, I kind of that, that default view I would take issue with in two ways. And one is that you can't use productivity stats to tell us how fast we're inventing. Um, you can be really innovative and have very low productivity growth because you have to account for the fact that as we innovate, we change what we spend money on, where it's kind of a composition effect. And the second is that getting hung up on complete on productivity growth is ignoring these big demographic changes. And, and so one of the reasons I think a lot of economists get hung up on the productivity story is they look at the numbers on output per worker um, and not tends to look much more driven by the productivity growth changes. So the slowdown in, in the growth rate of output per worker um, has more to do with productivity growth. But if we're talking about 
overall growth and our growth per person, then the demographics are a huge part of the story. And so some of it is just, I, I'm totally confident if I well, sat with any economist yeah. and we would agree on those definitions that, that we wouldn't disagree on the, the source of the, the changes. It's just that what, what is the thing to focus on is probably the difference. Yeah. What, what, what would you want policymakers to take away from your book? Um, so I think the, the, the takeaway, right? People ask me this all the time. I'm like, I don't have a five-point plan for Oh, anything. man, we, 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 we love that five-point plan. <laughs> I know. I, know. I do not have an executive summary sheet that I should, <laughs> I should create the one-pager the one page here. But, yeah. um, but I think it's more of a – I think the lesson that I would suggest from the book is that the growth rate itself should become less of the end goal or purpose of policy. Um, and maybe we should worry less about whether this policy A ha will have a, an effect on the growth rate or not, partly because policy A probably has a very tiny effect on the growth rate either way. Um, the, the changes in the growth rate are driven by these more long run systematic changes in demographics and the shift into services, which your policy isn't going to change. So maybe take some of the focus off worrying about what the growth rate effects are and worry more about the other aspects of it, the distributional aspects of it, or the fairness aspects of it, or just the, um, you know, maybe you're trying to accomplish some other policy perspective that has nothing to do with economics. Uh, okay, maybe worry less about the growth effects because they probably are small. My guest today has been Dietrich Balrath. Dietrich, thanks for coming on the podcast. Jim, thanks for having me, appreciate it.